Jesus in our time together in the history of this church that I'm calling the Master and the Mount. And I don't mean the Sermon on the Mount. I mean Mount Pleasant Baptist Church, the Master and the Mount. And, uh, and I've planned out, and if the Lord redirects, and certainly I want to be obedient to his leading, but right now in my, in my mind, there are going to be three messages in this series. Uh, the, this one's going to be the master's passion. We're going to talk about the work of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ today. Then we're going to, in a few weeks, we're going to talk about the master's people. We're going to talk about some signs of a strong church and, and what it means for us to be Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. And then the final sermon of the series will culminate with John 17 with what I'm calling the master's prayer, the master's prayer for us. Now, we're at a unique and historic moment in the life of our church, and I want to continue to ask you to pray for where God has us. As I said, next Sunday, Pastor Joe Mays is going to preach as it's his anniversary, and as we're reminded to be praying for our ministry with our young people and the families of this community, and, uh, and I appreciate so much one of the blessings that God's given me in our time together has been a deepening and growing and I believe now timeless, obviously, friendship with Pastor Andy and Pastor Joe and so many of your leaders here. But as has been shared with us, we're also preparing ourselves for uh, two weeks from today. Two weeks from today. And that is when our pastor search team will present to this dear fellowship uh, the candidate that God has led them to that will be here to candidate for the lead pastor role in this church, in this dear brother and his family. So the next couple weeks are pivotal weeks in the life and history of this church. And I got to thinking about our time together and, and, and how enjoyable and how blessed it's been and how God has allowed us to spend some significant moments together in this past year. And when I went back to thinking about what would be kind of a central message that I would, I would hope that if anybody ever asked you, you said, well, what, what was kind of the point when you spent some time with Pastor Brian? One of the, the, the real simple ways I would put it, and it doesn't sound probably all that uh, maybe uh, new to you, because it seems kind of obvious, but I can kind of be an obvious preacher sometimes, all right? Remember, uh, my dad told me one time, he said, my dad's an engineer, so my dad knows and can think about very complicated things, built nuclear aircraft carriers and nuclear submarines for his whole career, but he always enjoyed listening to Billy Graham preach. And he t- I said, well, dad, what is it about Billy-, Billy Graham? He said, because it's simple, it's clear, it's to the point, and I don't know why he would say preachers have to try to make Christianity and the cross and the work of Jesus so complicated. <laughs> And I guess I would want to reinforce a very uncomplicated but an extremely profound and the most important point of life, and that is this, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. And to me, it's not much more complicated than that. Now, where it gets complicated at times is living it out, (laughs) all right, and dealing with what that means. And Lord, what does that mean in my life? But, but as a principle, as a plumb line, as a blueprint, as a foundation, as a cornerstone, it's not complicated. Jesus Christ is Lord. And what it comes down to is as individuals and as a church family, are we going to always come back to that before we speak to anyone else, before we share an opinion, before we think of our own, our own thoughts? Are we going to come back to Lord Jesus? Lord Jesus. 
I surrender to you. You're my Lord. You're my Lord. And that's, and that's what I want to reinforce for us in the next few weeks together. In this little series of sermons. And today we come on this Labor Day weekend, as I've already previewed for you, having shared in the Lord's Supper together, we come to a passage of Scripture that today I want you to to see from the point of view of Labor Day. I want you to understand that in this passage, we're reminded by the Apostle Paul that it is indeed the word of the cross, the work of the cross, the message of the cross that we're to be about as a church, that our lives are to be centered upon. So I want to ask you, if you would, stand with me in honor of God's word. And listen to God's word, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18 and following. For the word or the message, the Greek word is logos. We get our English word logic from that. For the word or the message of the cross is foolishness or it's folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning. I will thwart. And then he asked some questions. Where, where is the one who's wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews, they demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness or folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Church today, let us celebrate our master's passion for us, his Work his labor on the cross and that message that we proclaim. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you today in this scripture remind us of the work that you've done for us, Lord Jesus. Your passion for us. Your willingness to to pay for our sins. To rescue us from hell and eternal Eternal separation and damnation, God, thank you. We don't always, we don't always come back to this basic, simple message, this truth, this passion that you have for us, Lord Jesus. We complicate our lives, even our Christian walk in so many ways. Oh, Lord Jesus, today, just take us back, Lord Jesus, I pray, to the work of the cross. And renew in our hearts, Lord, a desire to share that message with others. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord, help us to look at what you've done for us, Jesus, today. Encourage our hearts and souls. May your passion fire up our passion for you. Lord Jesus, thank you. We love you, Lord, for what you've done for us. Lord, help us today to be reminded of the attitude we ought to have when we look at the cross. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord. You are my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you and be seated. I can remember when I went away to college. I remember going down to visit my grandparents 
in North Carolina. My family, both my parents are from North Carolina. They grew up within like a mile of each other. And I remember going to see my father's father. My grandfather had become a fairly respected, well-known home builder in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Built houses for lawyers and architects and army generals and all kinds of people. My grandfather barely had an eighth grade education. He is one of these proverbial men of that greatest generation. One of those proverbial kind of self-made men, if you will. He would drive, he drove a truck for a while. He ran a store for a while. He, he eventually started to work in construction. And then one day said, you know what? I think I can, I think I could be a foreman. You know what? I think I could run my own company. And well, you know how they say, well, the rest is history. My father is the first of our family to ever go to college and graduate. My dad and I and my son, we found ourselves down at NC State University this summer for my son was at a basketball camp and, and my dad just couldn't help but want to retell the story and how I love to hear the story of how, of how he went to NC State and how my grandfather, because of a man that he knew through his home building, helped to make it possible and was able to ha- kind of help my father get established there at NC State. So that's my father has has never forgotten and will never forget the sacrifice and the investment that his father made in him, a man who barely had an eighth grade education. So I can remember when I was going to be the second in our family to go to college and I walked into their home there in North Carolina and my grandfather was sitting there and he asked me what you might expect him to ask me. You probably know the question. Well, son, what are you going to study and what do you think you want to do now that you've grown up? And I remember kind of swallowing and thinking through how I was going to answer this because what had happened in my life is God had begun to work in my life. God had led me to really get serious about my relationship with him, my walk with him. I'd gone on a mission trip and on that mission trip, God had gotten my attention and, and I'd come to understand that God's will for my life was for me was for me to spend my life and to forsake any other career and to serve the Lord in the gospel ministry. So I looked at my grandfather and I said, well, Grandpa, I'm going to James Matthews University. It's a really nice school. It's a good school. I'm going to study this, but I believe God's calling me to be a minister of the gospel, to be a pastor, to, to serve the church. And I can remember him sitting there and it's as if his expression just went blank. And he goes, oh, okay. And for the rest of the time I was in college, I can't really remember him ever asking me again about college. You see, also, the whole time that I'd grown up as a kid visiting them, I would see my grandmother get ready for church in the morning, but I never saw my grandpa get ready for church. My grandpa's an early riser, even to this day. He's in his 90s now. He still gets up at the crack of dawn. He eats at the same restaurant there in town. They know him by name. But I can remember growing up, I, I, I would never see him get up early to get ready for church. And, and it dawned on me in that moment, my grandfather must be thinking, how foolish, how foolish. You're going to spend four years in college 
and you're going to be a preacher. How foolish. I can remember when I would visit them during college, I would, I would almost hope that he wouldn't ask me. You see, there have come moments in our lives where we'll see different reactions when people find out that we're followers of Jesus and we're servants of Jesus. Because see, whether or not you're going to be a preacher or not, that's really not the issue. Bottom line is this, is we're all called to be servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are going to be people who last night, maybe they would have asked you, well, why, why are you going, you know, what y'all doing tomorrow morning? You want to come, on, you want to come o- over for brunch on Sunday morning? Say, well, no, we're going to be at church. And they just get quiet, you know what I mean? Folks that might say, well, you want to play golf Sunday morning? It's going to be a beautiful day. You want to play golf? No, I'm, I'm going to be worshiping the Lord. I'm going to be teaching Sunday school. I'm going to be working with the kids in preschool. And they just kind of get that funny look on their face. You see, I want today just to point out, just remind us that we must have confidence in the work of the Lord Jesus on the cross. But the Bible here says through the Apostle Paul that there are those out there, they think, they think when they see the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, they think weakness and they think foolishness. That's what Paul is saying here. But he's saying our confidence is in the cross. So I want to just highlight for you three reactions or three attitudes people have towards the work of Christ. The first one is this. I want you to write this down. Some stumble at what they think is the weakness of the cross, and they reject Jesus. In fact, the Bible here tells us, look with me down in verse 23. He says, but we preach Christ crucified, and the word here, the phrase is a stumbling block. A stumbling block to the Jews. Now, that, that, that word there, that phrase stumbling block, in English, in the, in, the, in the Greek language, it was the word we get our English word scandal from. You see, to the Jews, when they, heard the, when they heard the work of the cross, when they were when they were reminded of what Jesus had done for them on the cross, they saw it as a scandal. It was a stumbling block to them. You see, crucifixion to the Jews was despised. It was, it was a form of capital punishment, save for the worst of the worst criminals. And the idea to them that the promised one of God, the Messiah himself, would experience that kind of naked humiliation that the Messiah would experience that type of humiliation was beyond comprehension for many of them. And there are those in our midst, when they look at the cross, when they hear the message of the cross, when they're told what Jesus has done for you, listen, the cross cross in, in our culture has become jewelry. It's become decoration. It's become something we stick on the top of our church buildings. But the cross is a lot more than a steeple, church. The cross is a lot more than earrings or a necklace or jewelry. To these folks, when they were hearing the message of the cross in the Roman Empire, it was the idea of taking an electric chair and using that for your steeple. Or wearing electric chair earrings. How absurd. And for many today in the church and in our culture, well, now the cross, oh, it's just another symbol. I mean, the Buddhists have the lotus flower. I mean, you know, the the Nazis had the swastika. 
the Jewish people have the Star of David. The United States has the eagle. Of course, Christians, they have a cross. That's not, that's not what the Apostle Paul wants us to see. He wants us to understand that the cross of Christ is more than jewelry. It's more than a steeple. And these Jew, and, and the Jewish people, when they first heard this, they understood that because to them, the cross was something to be despised. You see, what the Roman Empire would do is it wasn't always just simply an old rugged cross or a cross on a hill. The Roman Empire, along its highways and byways, when you would come into a town, often there would be a hill or along the roadside, there would be all these crosses and there would be bodies on those crosses. The Roman Empire, however you want to dress it up, the Roman Empire was an incredibly oppressive regime. And what the Roman Empire would do with the crosses is they would crucify there on those crosses, oh yes, what they considered criminals, what they considered rebels, but also that's where they would crucify slaves. You see, the cross was, was a weapon of oppression. The cross was a means. When you, when you traveled around this empire, you look at that cross and you'd be warned, or else, you know what, that could happen to you. And so the Jews, they despise crosses. They despise the humiliation. And what the Jews in so many ways desired is they desired perhaps in this point in their history more than spiritual, spiritual awakening. They desired a political revolution. You see, the Bible reminds us how the scribes, the scribes were, were, were seeking answers. They were always, the Bible says here in verse 22, you're looking for a sign. Verse 22 says, the Jews demand signs. And what the scribes, the Jewish scribes had a hard time with is reconciling a supernatural Messiah with the suffering that the cross portrays. But in that, they missed the point. You see, when we sometimes come to Jesus, we don't really want to come and have to grapple with the reality that Jesus endured such humiliation, such scandal. And that's why there are people out there, they see that as weakness. They see you coming to Jesus, they see that as weakness. But yet the Bible here reminds us that it is only when we come to understand how really weak we are that we experience the incredible power of Christ in our lives. Loved ones, listen, some stumble at the weakness of the cross and they reject Jesus. Oh, 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 they, they demanded signs and in the midst of the message of the cross, they missed the greatest sign of all and that's the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us be reminded that when we preach Jesus, when we come and we worship Jesus, listen, our Lord Jesus no longer hangs suffering on a cross. The Lord Jesus Christ, oh, the cross is empty. And whenever I look and I see an empty cross, it ought to always remind me that there's also something else that is empty. Oh, that cross is empty because Jesus once and for all paid for my sins 
And that is paid in full. But when I look at that cross, I ought to also remember they took him down from that cross and they put him in a tomb. But when you go and you look for that tomb, you're going to find that that tomb is also empty. Amen? Because the Lord Jesus is resurrected. He has defeated my sin once and for all. You know, I think, I think about Judas. No one names, I've never hardly met, I've done a lot of parent-child dedications. I've never once dedicated a baby Judas. Not once. I don't know anybody who names their kid Judas. Judas, the betrayer. Remember that episode in John chapter 12? When Mary comes to anoint the feet of Jesus and Judas just flips out, man. What are you doing? What are you doing? You know what? A lot of people, and, and this, is a, this is a good way to teach this. I don't have a problem with this. We'll talk about how, Ju- how Judas selfishly was upset because he saw it as a waste of money. That's a good point. I think Judas also understood a deeper message because could it be that when Judas saw Mary anointing the feet of Jesus, he actually got the point? You see, she was anointing the feet of Jesus, and that, to me, was a foreshadowing and a foretelling of the anointing that they would later do to the body of Jesus, after Jesus had suffered that humiliation and the death on the cross. And could it be that Judas, on that day, when he came to understand that Jesus wasn't coming to be a political conqueror, but was coming to be a redeeming savior that on that day, Judas said, you know what? I'm checking out, man. This isn't for me. That's weakness and I don't want any part of it. Could it be that that was the day that Judas made up in his mind? That he just wasn't so sure he was bought into the Lord Jesus? So let me, let me just ask us a question. Hey, listen, listen. Have we come to terms with our need for the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ today? Have we come to terms with the reality that, listen, we all desperately were in need and need the Lord Jesus as our Savior? Oh, they saw it as weakness. But in seeing it as weakness, they missed the greatest, greatest miracle of all, and that is that Jesus, Jesus has the redeeming power to rescue you and me from our sins and our weakness. Oh, the Lord Jesus Christ is a willing laborer. He was willing to go to that cross and endure the shame and the humiliation so he could rescue you and me from our sins. So you'll see some, some stumble at what they see as weakness, but then some laugh at what they consider to be foolishness. Some stumble at the weakness, some laugh at what they think is foolishness. That's where the Greeks are described here. In verse 23, you see that reaction. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews. And do you see this in verse 23? Folly or foolishness to the Gentiles. In the Greek language, that's the word moronic. We get our word moron from that. It is the idea that what Jesus did on the cross is absurd, is crazy, is ludicrous, or it's just plain dumb. Now, the Greeks considered themselves to be enlightened And the Greeks were also religious in their own way. I think about Greek thinkers like Homer and Socrates and Plato and Aristotle. Now listen, the Greeks would have had no problem with God coming and walking amongst men and even living amongst men. 
They had stories about their made up gods, about them doing that. Where they really, really thought it got crazy though, was when the Christians said that the Lord Jesus is God and was willing to sacrifice his life for human beings. They thought that was crazy. They thought that was absolutely absurd. I mean, the idea that Jesus is God, that he would be born in a barn, live a selfless life, and then give his life on the cross for the sins of humanity was beyond their comprehension. The Greeks prided themselves on wisdom. And in this passage, Paul mentions wise, wiser, or wisdom. If you look in your Bible, he mentions those words 10 times. I think about how when Jesus was going to the cross and when Jesus is on the cross, remember how they mocked him? Paul is ridiculed in Athens and by leaders as he testified about the work of the cross and told the message of the cross. But Paul asks four questions here. He asks in 1 Corinthians 1.20, really four questions. He says, hey, where is the one who's wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? And his final question, has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? You see, the question that I would ask this world is, you have your wisdom. You say you have your intelligence, but listen, how's that working for you? Are we really better off? Are we really, hey, listen, we went through the enlightenment. Are we really enlightened? Have we really figured out how to do family? Have we figured out how to do marriage? Have we figured out how to lead pure and honorable lives better? I mean, just look at what's been in the news the past few weeks. Right now, I'm just, I'm just holding my breath, wondering what else is going to come out in the news sometimes. Unbelievable. And loved ones, the, the, the Greeks, when they looked at the cross, they saw it as foolishness. Because to them, the idea that Jesus would sacrifice himself for the sins of mere mortals was crazy. But I'm here to remind us today that no matter how smart we think we get, no matter how many degrees we obtain, no matter, no matter the inventions that we come up with, we absolutely need Jesus to solve our deepest problem. And that is the problem of our own selves, of our sin, of our bent towards evil, our bent towards wickedness, our bent towards deceit, our bent towards self-centeredness. You see, some, 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 they just, they stumble at what they see as a weakness. Some will laugh at what they consider to be the foolishness. But then look at what he says here. He says in verse 24, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Don't Don't miss here that he says, oh, but some, listen, here's the third reaction. Some laugh, some stumble, but oh, some trust. Some put their trust and they experience the power and the wisdom of the cross. Oh, some will ridicule Jesus. Some reject Jesus, 
But oh, then there are some, Paul says, who receive Jesus. Oh, I'm not talking about the Christ of the manger. I'm not talking about the 12-year-old who amazed him in the temple. I'm not talking about the master teacher and the healer who walked the hillsides and through the marketplace. I'm talking about the Lord Jesus Christ who walked that road to Calvary, who bore the cross on his back, who they raised up into that sky, and who gave his life on that cross at Calvary for my sins and your sins and the sins of the world. That Lord Jesus who breathed his last on that cross, but oh, in three days would come back to life in that borrowed tomb. That's the message of the cross. That listen, you don't have to try to live this life on your own. Oh listen, oh we've all got sins, we've all got stuff in the closet, we've all got baggage. Listen, we've all got stuff that we don't want to have come out on the internet. Bottom line is this, is the Lord Jesus Christ knows it all. The Lord Jesus Christ, in spite of my sins, went to that cross, he stared it down, and he willingly stretched out his arms, felt those nails... And endured the cross because no matter how smart I get, I'm still a fool on many days. No matter how powerful I think I might be, I still come across times in my life where I'm incredibly weak. And the message of the cross is that in the Lord Jesus Christ, God's wrath is satisfied. Oh, the message of the cross is God's justice was uncompromised. His love was magnified. His grace was glorified. His mercy was exercised. His wisdom is exemplified. And his glory is maximized. Oh, I want you today to remember church and never forget the work of the Lord Jesus, his labor of love, his passion on the cross. May we not dare think that we're too strong to need Jesus. May we dare not think that we're too smart to need Jesus. But may we come to Jesus and say, Jesus, save me. To those who believe, to those who are called, to those who are being saved, saved from the penalty of sin, saved from the power of sin, and one day will be saved from the very presence of sin. I graduated college. I was in the middle of seminary. I was married by this time. My wife and I were visiting my grandparents. My parents were there. My uncles were there. And we were getting ready to leave to drive back to our little apartment in Wake Forest, North Carolina. And my father came to me and he looked shaken. And he said, Brian, he says, look, he says, we're going to, mom and I, we'll drive by your place in Wake Forest. We come back to Virginia, but something's going on with dad. Something's going on with your grandpa. I don't know what. But he's asked for a meeting with all of his sons. So we went on back to Wake Forest. My wife and I nervously talked the whole way back. I wonder what's going on. Well, my, grand, my grandfather's health has been poor. I wonder if he's got some kind of news and he's going to share with his sons that he has some kind of terminal illness. Well, I remember sitting there in our apartment waiting. My parents all of a sudden come to the door. I stand up. My mom comes walking in, walks past me, doesn't say a word. She's just shaking her head. She's just shaking her head like this. My dad comes in. He looks like he'd been hit upside the head with a two-by-four. He says, you need to sit down, son. You know, whenever, whenever anybody tells you to sit down, you don't, you don't want to sit down. You know what I mean? I said, I don't want to sit down, Dad. He said, you might want to sit down. I said, I don't want to sit down. Will you just tell me? He said, okay, here's the deal. Here's what my grandfather had shared with him. 
during World War II, after he was deployed, been married to my grandmother for just a short while, he shared with them how he's playing poker one night, playing cards, some game. Got drunk. And um, bottom line was, he got involved with a girl that night. And now all those years later, the son from that encounter had found my grandfather. And this self-made man, this strong man, all of a sudden had the closets jerked open and had a grown man knocking at his door asking to meet his dad. A few weeks passed. We all came back to my grandfather's house, sitting there in his house, and we're going to meet my new uncle. Man comes and knocks at the door. I can see him through the window. And I said, well, there's Uncle Robert, an uncle who I'd known my whole life. And they looked and they said, that's not your Uncle Robert. That's your new Uncle John D." He looks more like my grandfather than my own father. I can remember, though, my father telling me, he says, your grandpa has one question for you, Brian. Here it is. Can you ever forgive him? Can you ever forgive him? I sat down and I wrote my grandfather a letter and I explained to my grandfather, Grandpa, I love you. You really down deep, really honestly, you really don't need me to forgive you. You've been a good grandfather. You, you raised and provided for my father. You, for all I've known you, you, you've loved my grandma, provided for her. You've been a, quote, good man. You don't need my forgiveness. But dear grandpa, you can have the forgiveness of Jesus. And I think that's what you really need. That country preacher that my grandma had heard preach came by the house. He shared the good news, the message of the cross with my grandpa. And my grandpa said, do you think that can really be true for me? Do you think Jesus is really powerful enough to save me from this sin, this sin that I've hid from this community, this community I've, my generations have lived in? And that preacher said, Absolutely. If he can save the thief on the cross, if he can save a sinner like me, he can sure save you, Mr. John. And my old overweight grandpa walked down in front of that little country church, shared with that church what by now all of them already knew anyway, but that he was a sinner and he had lied and all else he'd done. And then he said, but preacher here tells me that the Lord Jesus Christ gave his life for my sins. If I put my faith and trust in him, <clears throat> I can be forgiven. And I hope you'll forgive me too. And my old overweight grandpa climbed up in a baptistry a little bit smaller than that one. And he got in there with the preacher and the preacher said, Mr. John, do you today for all these people repent of your sins and confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? He said, yes, sir, I do. And he said, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you from a grandson's perspective what's happened. I've gone from the place 
where I saw my grandpa look at me with a blank stare on his face and wonder, son, what on earth are you doing with your life? To now, when I've preached revival at that country church, my grandpa will be sitting right next to my grandma now where he always sits. She'll be smiling a great big smile. And he has tears coming down his face. Because he's come to understand that what is weakness to some is strength to other men. What is foolishness to the world is wisdom to other men. Oh, what some see as weakness, God says is strength. What some see as foolishness, God says, oh, it's wisdom. Oh, listen to me. God, God's wisdom is so much smarter than mine. God's power is so much stronger than I am. And I'm here to tell you today and remind you, church, don't you ever, ever forget the work of Jesus. You let others know about the work of Jesus. I share that with you today as a pastor, but more personally today as a grandson. As a grandson who's grateful that Jesus is Lord. Just stand to your feet, please. You'll walk out of here today, heads bowed and eyes closed, and I want you to remember this. When you leave here today, I want you just to remember that it's the message of the cross. It's it's the work of the cross that we all have to look to. Lord Jesus, help us not to trust ourselves. Lord Jesus, help us to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.